0: Hey, we have. Uh, what a good day today! We have a lot of things going on. This is a, a full morning. Um, first of all, our you know fourth Sunday of the month. It's it's kind of a family Sunday. It's not like we don't have all of the the uh, the children in here on fourth Sunday, but we have the the youth stay in here. Oftentimes, the youth go out to their own service after worship, but on fourth Sunday, the youth stay and. Um, Today I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask one of the youth, uh, actually Micah, if he would come and read our passage for us. And so if you'd welcome Micah. And as as Micah's getting ready here, um, I'll just let you know it's not a small thing that he's here this morning, because Micah was part of a team of youth. Who, um, who have said yes to a discipleship challenge, a, a leadership challenge. And as part of that, th- they did a team building exercise yesterday where they met here at the church at five in the morning on Saturday. They drove to Lagoon near Salt Lake, spent all day at Lagoon and then drove back all night. So you got back at two in the morning
1: Yeah, roughly about two in the morning. Roughly
0: two in the morning. So um, if you see any teens with kind of glazed expressions, um, that's what's going on. We actually, we have a few pictures here. We'll throw these up while Mike. uh, Do you have a favorite moment from the trip?
1: Favorite moment, I gotta say, is when Josh made me go on like every single like intense ride there was (laughs) at Lagoon. (laughs) Yeah. So props to him for getting my my foot in the door for... uh, for going on roller coasters because I'm normally not a roller coaster person. Did you
0: do the one where you like go up and then you drop? Yep. And w- did you like that or the roller coaster better?
1: Um I really I like the the, the red roller coaster better. There <laughs> okay. you go. All right. <laughs> well, um if,
0: if your parents uh, with with teenage uh, students in your house, um, you can talk to Pastor Josh if you wanna know informo- any information about our youth group, we'd love to be able to uh, share that with you. So anyway, uh, we're gonna be in Philippians. And um, Micah, what, what translation are you reading? Uh, Let's of-
1: turn to Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 30. Okay, what translation are you reading? Uh, I'm gonna be reading from the ESV.
0: Okay. so. Uh Mike is gonna be reading from ESV. If you have a different translation, maybe you just wanna close your eyes and follow along. We're not gonna put this on screen right now. So this is, we're just gonna read through the whole passage and just let it sort of um, penetrate our hearts. So actually before you read, can I just pray? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do say, come Holy Spirit. And as we gather, we don't want to just uh, study your word or read your word. We want to be studied. By your word, we want to be read by your word. Uh, we want you to inform us and shape us and we wanna know you more. And as a result of our time together, we wanna make you known more clearly, uh, more faithfully in our world. And so as we uh, open ourselves to your word this morning, we say, come Holy Spirit. Uh, we welcome every manifestation of your presence and we ask that you would take these words and place them in our hearts.
1: that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, I have thought it necessary to send you, Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he is ill. Indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking the life to complete which was what was lacking in your service to me. The word of the Lord.
0: Thank you. <laughs> We, uh, we trust there was no Snapple bottles involved in yesterday's trip, that's what we trust. All right, we are, um, as Micah just read for us, we're in Philippians. Um, as we've been studying through this letter, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians, followers of Jesus, living in uh, the Roman colony of Philippi. Paul's currently in prison in Rome. And as he writes this, he starts with the reason that he's writing. We've actually, back in chapter one, we've looked at this a couple times, but I just wanna remind you, especially if you're new, here's the thesis of why Paul's writing. He says in Philippians 1, 6, he says, "'I am certain that God, "'who began the good work within you, "'will continue his work until it's finally finished "'on the day when Christ Jesus returns.'" Okay, that's his thesis, that God has begun a good work. If, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've opened your heart to Jesus at some point, maybe, this, maybe it was as a child, maybe it was as an adult, maybe you've boomeranged a little bit and you're coming back to Jesus. But there's, there's a, a divine author who is writing your story. And as you've opened your life to him, he is, he's begun a good work and he's continuing that good work and he's going to bring it to completion. Not tomorrow, well, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> but it's not, it's, it, the, his timeline is he's bringing you to completion by the second coming of Jesus, right? So you are in a process. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in a process. So Paul's certainty that that work is going to continue and it's gonna be finished, it's because he knows that God is doing the heavy lifting. And he says, I am certain that that work is gonna be done because it's God that's doing the work. He's like, I'm not so sure about you guys, but I know that God can finish what he's begun because he's really big, right? So that's his confidence. So, but he's writing because they do have a part to play. It's not equal, it's not 50-50. It's not like the work that's happening in their lives is 50% God and 50% people. He's very clear, God's doing the heavy lifting and you have a part to play. And that's why he's writing the letter. He's writing the letter to encourage them and to equip them and to inspire them to do their part, to keep working with God. So the question is that we should be asking is what is that good work? What is it that God is doing in each and every follower of Jesus that he wants to finish, that that he's, he's moving forward? And it's this, it's the completion of their salvation. It's being fully transformed into being faithful image bearers of Jesus. But last week we talked about it a little bit like a funhouse mirror. You know, a funhouse mirror, when you look at the image that's in the funhouse mirror, it's distorted. It can be like, uh, you know, some things are magnifying, some things are minimized, some things are grotesquely magnified. And it's just, it's all warped. It's a good word for it. It's, it's a warped image. But as image bearers of Jesus who have the spirit of the living God inside of us, that's what it means to be born again of the spirit. God has placed his spirit inside of us. He's, it's like he's flattening out that funhouse mirror so that the image that's reflected is true with less distortions, with greater accuracy. Like that's, that's what God is doing in each one of us. So in last week's passage, uh, Paul, this is what Paul did. He said, so if we're being conformed in the image of Jesus, well, then this standard that we're aiming for is Jesus. And so he held up Jesus really high. And he said, this is the image, okay? This is Paul holding up Jesus. This is not Lloyd Dobler holding up a boombox, to be clear, okay? He holds up Jesus and he says, here's the target. And the challenge is, it's a really, really high bar. Have you ever experienced that? The the Jesus that we follow, that we're supposed to make visible in and through our lives, well, it's a really high bar. It's almost out beyond comprehension. It's almost out of reach. Well, let me take that back. It's certainly out of reach to be fully like Jesus, isn't it? Just, just consider what Paul had to say. Here's when he told them last week about what it looks like for them to follow Jesus. He gave them a list of instructions. And then he said, okay, here's, here's how Jesus lived. Listen to this. This is from last week's passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. We could just stop right there. That's the highest bar, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's like, you know what? You you do just fine taking care of your own interests. The challenge is not to take care of your own interests, it's to think about other people. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And here here he gives that Christ poem that we looked at last week. This is a a probably pre-existed Paul. It's not something that he that he crafted, most likely. It's a it's like a theological poem that contains the fullness of Jesus' life, his incarnation. So this is what he says. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, to grasp and hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. God was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He said, so, so let me tell you about Jesus. Here's who he is. He, he let go of his status. He let go of his privilege, his power, his divine privilege and power. He let go of his rights. He, he didn't cling to or grasp to his rights. Instead, he did something with them that was actually for the sake of other people. He humbled himself, he entered into his creation as one of us and a powerless one of us. He didn't enter in as royalty, as, you know, The he, I mean, he entered in as a humble Galilean peasant, born as a, as a baby, cared for by a teenager, a single teenage mom. Like this is humility, this is our God. He, he lived a blameless life and then he offered up his life in sacrifice and it was the most brutal death imaginable at that time. And it wasn't that his life was taken from him and he was simply a victim. It wasn't that, he offered it up. He offered his life in sacrifice for others. And, and, and it's such an extreme example because on the cross, he prays over those who are, as they're crucifying him, and praise loving words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's a bar that's unreachable, isn't it? But Paul doesn't leave us. Not, he doesn't leave the, the, the Christians in Philippi or us with an unreachable bar. He doesn't reach us, he doesn't leave us with a, a, a target that can never be hit. So what he does, here's what he does in the rest of chapter two. This is basically what we're gonna be doing today. The rest of chapter two, he gives three examples of regular people who are living this way. They're doing their life this way. They're aspiring to follow Jesus. And in the circumstances of their life and the opportunities that come to them, they're choosing Jesus' way instead of the way of the world around them. And so Paul wants to highlight that. And basically what he's doing is he's taking this idea. he He said, let the same mind be in you in Christ. That's conceptual and it's lofty and it's theological and it's, it's a little bit hard to wrap our minds around. So he takes this idea and he says, let me put some skin on it for you. Let me put some skin on it and show you what this looks like in, in just normal people right around you that are part of, of your life. So um, let's turn to two ver- chapter two, verse 12. This is our passage for this week. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Remember, Paul's away, imprisoned in Rome, there in the colony of Philippi. Not only in my absence, but now much more in my presence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, there again, there's that, that tension of God's doing the heavy lifting and you have a part to play. Again, it's not 50-50, but I want you to notice what he says. He doesn't say, earn your salvation with fear and trembling. Does he? He says, work it out, which means Paul never says you have to earn your salvation. He never says, work really hard to undo the damage that you've done and see if you can do more good to balance out the bad that you've done. He doesn't say work it out really hard, work it out with fear and trembling. What he says is work out what you've already been given as a free gift. Did you ever invite Jesus into your heart? Did you ever surrender your life to God? Have you prayed a prayer where you said, God, I give you my life in exchange for your eternal life? Some fashion of that. Maybe it happened in an environment like this in a gathered church. Maybe it happened with a friend. Maybe nobody else was even there. But in that moment, that was a free gift. That was God reaching down out of eternity to to begin a good work in you. And that was a free gift, you didn't earn it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the the way that we enter into this life of following Jesus, it's not by working working for our salvation with fear and trembling. That preposition is really important. We're not working for it, it's a free gift that we receive and having received it, we do something with it. Dallas Willard used to say that we're saved by grace, but grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. There's actually effort that's part of the Christian life. It's what Paul's saying. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's an effort, but the effort isn't to earn God's salvation, it's to grow up into it. So when you're born again, it's like you go back to being a baby at least in the spiritual sense, not physically. There's some confusion over that in John. And Jesus says, no, I'm talking about something spiritual, but you're given a new birth and you're given a new nature, but you're living out that new nature in the context of your old nature. And so you've got some old habits that have been formed over how many years you've been on this planet. You got some habits that are pretty deeply ingrained and learning to live out the new nature in the context of your old nature it's gonna require some deliberate effort, but don't worry, because it's God who's doing the work. He's doing the heavy lifting. God is not working, working in you both to will what he wants, to, to actually desire this kind of living? This is a radical thing. Nobody says, I want to live self-sacrificially unless the Spirit of God is doing that work in them, right? So God is not working you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, okay? So that's grace. So he says, you've been born again, now grow up into it. So he says, for example, verse 14. So do everything without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) Do which things without grumbling or arguing? Everything. In the Greek, everything means what? Everything. You guys got it. (laughs) Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. I love, now listen to this. This is a beautiful metaphor he gives. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Okay, everybody born in this world from the beginning of time until now are image bearers of the living God. That's what it means that he he instilled his image in us, but we're all born as warped image bearers, right? That's that's the distortion in the funhouse mirror children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Just take in that metaphor. The darkest night sky with bright pinpoints of starlight. He says, when you live this way, when you live like Jesus would if he were you, it's like being a star in the darkest sky. sky. You're a Jesus star. You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul's exhortation is to live in a countercultural way that follows the pattern of Jesus instead of the pattern of this world. So he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. The question is, well, what if grumbling or arguing seems appropriate? This is, now, this is a question you don't have to answer <laughs> out loud, but I do want you to consider it, at least internally. Okay, so this is, this is not rhetorical, it's just silent. What in your life right now do you have to grumble about? Or what in the world around you, maybe near or maybe distant, do you have to argue about? What do you have to grumble or argue about? Paul says do every, what it looks like Jesus, to be Jesus is to do everything without grumbling or arguing. He doesn't really put any qualifiers on it. You know, it's, sometimes it's easy to, to think that, well, these were written to a simple people 2,000 years ago. Paul didn't know the complexity of the world that we live in. He didn't understand the dynamics of our, our government or our economy, or there's all kinds of things that Paul doesn't understand. Do you know what he, the people he's writing to in first century Philippi, do you know what they were going through? They were living under the Roman empire, an imperialist government. They were living as a Christian high minority, we saw that when we looked at Acts 16, they're a minority group within the majority and persecution is just ramping up in the Roman empire of Christians, okay? Not, not of population in general, specifically of followers of Jesus. And it's, it's, it's right on the horizon. It's, it's already happening in Rome. It may have already reached Philippi. There's little hints throughout the letter to the Philippians that they're experiencing some persecution and it's about to get turned up a lot. Here's what's happening. It's it's the Neronian persecution, meaning the persecution that was, we have to name the persecutions of the first century because there's multiple ones and they were incited by different leaders. So Nero in the 60s AD, he, uh, he, if you know anything about Nero, he's a nut job. Rome burnt down. I think if I remember right, the statistics, about half of the city of Rome caught on fire and and was destroyed in a fire. And in the aftermath of that fire, people, as people want to do, they always wanna blame someone, right? Anytime there's, we still do this today. Anytime there's a tragedy, who do we point the finger at? Who do we sue? Who do we make pay for it? Who do we vilify? They were the same way. They're like us, Okay. So back in Rome, the 50% of the city burns down, they blamed Nero and they said in his narcissism, he destroyed the city so that he could rebuild it the way that he wanted it to be rebuilt. And so people were very angry at him. So what he had to do is he had to point to a scapegoat. Historians don't know whether that really is what happened. It's true that, that that was what the accusation was. And so what he did is he kind of deflected all of that blame to the Christians because the Christians were an easy target. They were really unpopular in their day. This is really important though. They were not unpopular because they were antagonistic towards the general population. And it's not because they shamed other people for the way that other people lived. It's because they lived so differently that it made other people uncomfortable. They lived sacrificial lives. When plagues swept through the population, The Christians didn't leave like everyone else did. They went in after the people who were dying and and rescued them at great sacrifice to themselves. That's different, who does that? They lived a very different, if you know anything about the sexual ethic of Rome and the way that they took what the Greeks had done and just went beyond that. (laughs) If you know anything about the sexual ethic of Rome, the Christians lived very differently. They said, that's not the way our creator designed us to live. And they lived very differently and it made people uncomfortable because their Christian workmates wouldn't party with them like everyone else. And so when Nero says, I think it was the Christians who started the fire, they were an easy target. And, and when, when we talk about the Neronian persecution, this is not a small thing. Like Nero would at the peak of this, this is, this is when you had people being sewn into animal skins and ripped apart by wild beasts in the, in the arenas, gladiator type stuff. Nero would, would, was known to dip Christians in tar and light them on fire as human torches during his garden parties. Oh, gosh. Okay. So when Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, like, there's teeth to this, what he's asking of them. As much as, as, much as that's a, a stretch for us to think, well, but some things shouldn't we grumble about? Paul's pointing to how Jesus lived and he's saying, when you live that way, when you follow the pattern of Jesus, it's so radically different from the culture that you stand out like stars in the darkest night sky. You stand out like Jesus stars the flip side of that is if you live the way the culture lives, if you just follow the pattern of how everybody else responds to stuff, it's completely dark and there is no light. Remaining verses, Paul offers three examples. So he takes big lofty, be like Jesus, don't grumble, don't complain. And he says, okay, so let me give you three examples. Let me put some skin on it. Here's some people who are doing it. Verse uh, verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, the outcome of his trial remains to be seen, but the handwriting's on the wall. Paul knows he probably doesn't survive his trial specifically, the Neronian persecution in general. And so even though he said to them, I hope to come to you soon, he's, he, he kind of knows where this is going. And he says, even if my life is poured out like a drink offering. And in, in the ancient world where sacrifices were part of worshiping God or the gods. So this is, this is true of the Hebrew culture as well as other cultures. Sometimes instead of offering animals in sacrifice, they would take like something that was really priceless, like a, a, a vessel of wine which was a lot more rare in their days than it is today. And they would pour it out as an offering and say, instead of enjoying this myself or, or saving this myself, I'm pouring it out to you as a sacrifice. And Paul takes that image and he says, even if my life is poured out as a sacrifice, even if God allows my life to end that way, I rejoice in that because it's for the faith of others. And then he says, and if that happens to me, I don't, I want you to rejoice with me. I don't want you to grieve. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to protest. I want you to rejoice with me because my life has been spent like Jesus. So that's the first example. Second example, he says, in fact, he says, I'm replacing my grumbling with rejoicing. You'll notice that that's a theme throughout this letter. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. How do you live in a difficult world? You look for what to rejoice in. Example number two, verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. No one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Do you hear that tension? He just said, even if I get poured out as a drink offering and I am also hoping to come and see you in person. He's, I think the distance between the Roman colony of Philippi and Rome, it's about 1300 miles by, by ship, right? It's an arduous journey. We'll see that in a minute. But he's saying, I'm, I'm hoping to send Timothy. And the reason why is because while everyone else is preoccupied with their own interests, driven by self-satisfying motives, self-absorbed motives, Timothy lives with genuine love for other people and for the outworking of the gospel. Timothy shines like a Jesus star in the middle of a dark sky. And so Paul says, what I really want is to come to you in person, but since I can't be there, I'm sending Timothy in my place and I trust him to say what I would say to do what I would do, to pastor you the way I would if I were there. And so Timothy is an example of someone who lives for the sake of others. Third example. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, coworker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and he is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but but also on me to spare me from sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that you may see him again and you may be glad, which is again, rejoice, and that I may have less anxiety. Epaphroditus was a Philippian. He was part of their congregation. He had made the journey to Rome to visit Paul because of course, first century, not only do they not have a mail system, but they don't have interwebs. They can't message Paul. Hey, heard you're sick. How's it going? They can't message him. They, they can't send him, like they can't Venmo. Paul, do you have Apple Pay? And so in order to get news back and forth, in order to send love back and forth, in order to send money, like literally they sent Paul a, a financial gift to sustain him while he's in Philippi, or while he's in prison. Which, you know, a couple, our last series before this was Philemon. And I remember wondering, how is it that Paul has the resources while in prison to offer to pay somebody else's debt? Remember he paid the debt of Onesimus? I, remember, I, I, I was wondering that, like, where does, he's a prisoner, where does he get that kind of money? I think it's the Philippians. They sent him a financial gift through Epaphroditus, and he says, look, you know, he made that arduous journey and it almost killed him. Something happened along the way that got him so sick to where he almost died. But he pulled through, he's recovering, he's getting stronger. And so now Paul's sending him back to do the same journey that he just almost died on. And Epaphroditus is willing to do it because he wants to be spent for the sake of the gospel. He's about to make the return journey, taking whatever risk that involves to carry the letter. He's actually gonna carry the letter that Paul's writing to them. He's gonna bring it and deliver it, probably read it out loud. This guy almost died, but what is he not doing? He's not grumbling or arguing. He's not grumbling that he almost died. He's not arguing that Paul, you know, I made that journey once and it almost killed me. The next time, Will, I'm staying here. He's not arguing. He's giving whatever days he has left to continue living for others for the outworking of the gospel. So there's three examples with skin on them. Paul now finishes the section with one more instruction. So then, verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Honor people that live like that. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Paul says, rejoice in stories like that. And here's the reason why, because that's how we learn how to recognize the opportunities in our life. When we, as a a family of Jesus followers, when we see somebody living the way Jesus would in their circumstances, and we celebrate that, and we call it out and we say, that's what Jesus would do if he were in your life. And we celebrate that, we go, yeah, what it does is it, it, it awakens our imagination to our own circumstances. And so that when we see the when, when we're in a new circumstance, we actually see that there's a choice. Do I follow the pattern of the world or do I follow the pattern of Jesus? And it awakens a, a spirit-filled imagination. So for our application today, we're gonna look at three stories that are part of our congregation. We're gonna celebrate them together. And, uh, and we're gonna talk about... Um, people that are shining like Jesus stars in their circumstances. So I'm gonna welcome Faith Shatra, if you would come up first. Faith. Please welcome Faith. <laughs> this, there's a picture up there of faith in action. Faith's story, I'm sure Faith could tell lots of stories, but uh, the specific story today has to do with, um, with, Faith's a soccer player who aspires to play at um, higher levels college professional professional is. yeah and you experienced recently a um a, a difficult circumstance a setback in your um your soccer career so can you sh- share with us a little bit about
2: that um yeah so i this year i made jv at my high school and it was really frustrating cuz like with my club i play against like really high level so it was like kind of like going back down mm-hmm. and it was a little frustrating to me, because like in the fall, oh, sorry. in the fall, um, you only have the option to play high school, you can't play clubs, so I had to play there and then I made JV again,
0: so that's why it was kinda hard. So instead of playing at the level that you're accustomed to playing at and getting stretched, um, you're you are playing at a lower level with players that are less experienced maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds frustrating. So um, I would imagine that there was an opportunity to, um, to grumble or argue, um, there's, a, there's a person who made that decision. Yeah. Is, is that correct? Yes. So um, tell me, were you tempted to grumble and argue?
2: Yes, I was. Yeah? I was, <laughs> um, I actually did kind of like make some complaints, I guess, uh-huh. but it wasn't like, yeah. I, was, I wanted to respond a certain way, but I was like, I, didn't re- I wasn't going to, but I, yeah. there were some things I kind of had in my head that would be cool <laughs> to yeah. do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> The things you rehearse about saying, yeah. Yeah. I love your honesty in that. Thank you, because this is, this, is, this stuff isn't clean. But where did you land?
2: Um, I went and I talked to the athletic director about it and stuff, and I kind of, and then I had a meeting with him and the coach and the athletic director. It didn't really do anything, but okay. yeah. So that's kind of what happened.
0: So now you're playing on which team?
2: For club.
0: Or high school. For high school.
2: Uh, well, JV. Okay.
0: So, yeah. so is there anything that that is happening in those circumstances now that you see God at work in?
2: Um, yeah, I feel like, because on varsity, they had already established who their captains were going to be like before. And then for JV, I was able to be the captain, one of the captains on that team. So I had like leadership opportunities and stuff. Okay. So, and then also the players are a lot younger because like the varsity players are around my age kind of. So I was kind of able to be like a leader to them and like a mentor or something, I don't know. Okay,
0: have you, um, have you had a chance to interact with uh, players that you wouldn't have had a chance otherwise?
2: Yeah, definitely, probably like half the team I would say because like some of them, I was on JV last year as well so I like already knew some of them but a lot of like the new players I was able to. Okay, So.
0: seen God do anything?
2: Um, yeah, I was able to invite one of the girls to youth group, which was Kay. fun. And then um, another one, I'm able to, I feel like I'm getting to be better friends with her, which is gonna help in the long run because I would like to talk more to her about yeah. stuff, so.
0: That's awesome. Faye, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. All right, next we have Karen Scriver. Karen, if you could come up. Uh, I got a picture here of Karen that I snuck uh, Wednesday night. We were were doing uh, our Vineyard 101 uh, class and we were on tour of the medical clinic. Uh, Karen is actually a volunteer director of our medical clinic. And so as she was sharing with our group that night while we were on tour, uh, I I snuck a picture real quick. I did. did (laughs) Yeah, you were busy. So anyway, but Karen, I just heard this week, literally just this week, about a story that has been playing out in Karen's life for several years now. And I asked her if she would mind sharing that with us for the purpose of inspiring us in our circumstances as well. So Karen, here you go.
3: Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, I'm gonna read this part of this just so I don't go down a rabbit hole. So please indulge me. On November 20th of 2019, I received a call from two young neighbor gals that a woman who appeared to be homeless was in distress in our neighborhood. They asked me if I could come and help them as they weren't sure what to do and thought I might have connections because we care for homeless at the medical clinic. I met them at my house and we walked down by the river where a middle-aged lady was lying in the gutter close to the greenbelt. She was wrapped in a light blanket and had a large Akita dog, a cat, and a few possessions. We began talking to her to see if she was okay and find out more about the situation. She shared that she had been wrongly evicted from Section 8 housing a few weeks prior in South Dakota and couldn't find any legal help, so she sold all of her possessions and came back to her hometown to live with her daughter. Her daughter lived in our neighborhood, the key to why she was there. However, the daughter was living with her boyfriend and his daughter in a small apartment. You can probably surmise that things did not work out once they spent the small amount of money she had. The boyfriend took her down to the river, dumped her possessions, the dog and the cat, and left her in the dark on a 20 degree night. She stayed along the greenbelt that night not knowing Boise anymore. She shared that she suffers from a painful autoimmune disease for over 30 years and has severe PTSD. She thought her daughter would come back for her, but she didn't. Someone drove her out to Boise from South Dakota because she cannot drive, she does not have a car. She did not have a cell phone because she'd never had one and she didn't know how to use one. We spent the afternoon calling all the logical places that might assist her, shelters for her, shelters for the animals. And she was very dependent on the animals to help her with her PTSD and very hesitant to be split from them. But we convinced her that she needed to go out in the cold as she appeared to be sick. We took the animals to a border on North 36 and took her to City Light, a woman's shelter. She had to be out of the shelter at 7 a.m. as they don't allow residents to stay there during the day. I picked her up at 7 and she spent the day with me trying to find helpful resources. And we set up an appointment with Catch the next day. I bought her a cell phone that night so I could stay connected with her. She went back to City Light a second night and after I picked her up again at 7 a.m. I could see that she was really distraught without her animals. She said the shelter had women detoxing and screaming all night, and this was setting her PTSD off. She went to the catch appointment and she was number 788 in line for housing, so that was not an option. <laughs> so I took a leap of faith and I said, Lord, I know I need to bring this lady into my home. I think she's gonna die if I leave her out in the cold. She wasn't going back to the shelter and she was not prepared to be on the streets. I have a finished garage that was very clean and pretty warm, and I went out and I bought her a bed and carpeting and space heaters, and I set up a bedroom for her in my garage. I couldn't bring her into my house because I have two little Aussie dogs that are not cat-friendly. She slept in a cozy, warm garage for six weeks, and I fixed her meals, and she used the house for her bodily needs. And I began to learn much more about her and the horrible childhood she had experienced in Boise. She was attending my high school when I was. She was was mentally, physically, and sexually abused and tortured her entire entire childhood by an alcoholic schizophrenic mother and her mother's boyfriends until she reached 16 when she was released by a judge to go on her own. Back in the 60s and early 70s, child abuse was simply not dealt with. She dumpster dove to obtain food and clothing to survive, and many additional things happened to her as an adult that I won't get into, but it really brought on the PTSD. I was set to remodel my kitchen about the sixth week of her stay. I needed the garage for space. She and I were were trying everything to find her place to rent. Housing was getting very expensive in 2019. So we finally found a nonprofit who was renting a room in Eastern Idaho that she could afford and keep her animals. She receives the minimum social security disability, which is well under $1,000 a month, so it doesn't go far. My nephew and I drove her to Eastern Idaho and all was well for a while. But after a few months, I came to learn that this nonprofit was operating fraudulently, and she was also being significantly mistreated. I stayed in contact with her every day and sent her food and things she needed via Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. She had to stay there a few months longer than I would have liked, as both of us kept looking for a solution for her housing situation. She made many calls on her cell phone attempting to find housing. Finally, in June of 2020, I was able to rent a trailer for her in Horseshoe Bend that she could pay part of the rent for, and I was obligated to pay the rest. My nephew and I went back across the state to pick her up, and we moved her to what is now her
0: current home.
2: Hmm.
0: <laughs> Karen, what's your, what's your commitment to the rest of this story?
3: Well, my commitment is that I will always be supporting her financially. I don't think she'll ever be able to do that, but that's a blessing for me to write that check every month when I go to see her. And I take a food box from the church, and thank you all that donate and help with that. And, you know, she's always going to need help. There's a lot of challenges there from her past, and Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to be there for her.
0: Thank you, Karen. As Karen was sharing that story with me, I, I was struck by the reality that like, I mean, that would be considered a generous thing to take on that kind of commitment for a family member who needed that sort of you know, support in their life. To do that for a stranger, that's unheard of that's shining like a bright Jesus star in the dark sky. This Karen has never told that story you know, publicly, never told it to me, I didn't even know about this. But so we're not, what we're celebrating is that's Jesus at work in Karen. Karen, there an opportunity came to her and she chose to respond to it in a Jesus way We have one last story this morning, and uh, this one uh, comes here. This one, we're gonna play a video for this one. A couple months back, I was driving to go visit a member of our church um, over in, uh, living in an assisted living place. Um, We're gonna, this is Ardith's story. And uh, I knew that Ardith had recently been through a medical crisis, and and as a result of that crisis, had landed in an assisted living facility. And so I prepared myself to, to minister to somebody who was struggling or discouraged or frustrated or or any sort of things. But um, what I found in Ardith was something quite unexpected. Well, I'm sitting here with Ardeth, who is uh, in a new living environment, relatively new to you. Isn't that right? Yes. Uh, And we're actually sitting in what is effectively Artith's art studio. Um, Let's start with this. Artith, can you share with
4: me a little bit about uh, your recent medical crisis that brought you here? I was um, living in a patio home, actually just only about three blocks from here. The end of February, I just got just an extreme back pain that was so severe I ended up going to the hospital and found out that I had gotten a staph infection running through my bloodstream. And I was very, very ill in Mm. the hospital. And actually I was dying. My organs were shutting down. I was in congenitive heart failure. My lungs were filled with gel Mm. fluids and um, my kidneys and liver functions were stopping. So did, you, did your medical team, did they expect you to leave the hospital? No, they did not. I think two different times my family was told, it's time to say goodbye. But um, the Lord just had plans to give me another chapter and I gradually got well. I, I just wasn't really able to go home and live on my own. So I came right from all that into grace and my furniture would, kids helped move my furniture in here and so you sold the patio home i eventually sold the patio home and then i got better and then all of a sudden i'm like wait what <laughs> here i am <laughs> and um you know what i decided i'm gonna just go with this this could work out okay and um, i'm not gonna just be sad that i'm not living in my home anymore and God kind of has a way of doing that. He makes things break or he allows them to break. And you go, oh, no, now I have to fix this. Oh, what, the furnace isn't working? Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, I don't need that anymore. I don't need to worry about all those things anymore. What if I took all that time and just did fun things that I enjoy and serve the Lord with the second chapter he's given me? Right.
0: So tell, tell me about this. Um, you're obviously you've got this creative space set up where you what is it that you're doing, here?
4: Well, it's something I had started before I got sick. What I'm doing is I'm making cards, which actually have ended up total oh. booklets. Yes, by more of a book. <laughs> more of a book. But I'm making cards um, for an organization um, called PhilStrengths.org, and what they do is they encourage patients patients who have cancer, okay. and um, they send them a, like a hope box. Mm-hmm. And then the cards that i'm making they don't really fit in an envelope they're not good for mailing out but they use these cards in their boxes of hope Mm -hmm. so when someone receives their first box of hope then they also get a card that um, just encourages them and points to the lord Mm -hmm. reminds them um, you know where they need to be at and and praying for help through all the things so, that includes
0: hope and prayers and scripture and yes. How do you decide what to put in each card?
4: Well, that's kind of fun, but it's also um, something I try to do with the Lord in mind. So through this whole process, I'm really praying for all of these people with cancer, and I'm praying that God will will kind of lead me to find well what's the right page in this book? What's right? scripture that i can include in there what's the right prayer card to put in
0: well i know you you shared with me previously that there's two sides to grace assisted living there's the uh, assisted side and there's the independent side and you chose the assisted side even though you probably could live on the independent side but um but then now out of that you are actually you what is it you have a
4: bible study with the the residents on this site? I do, and I just love it. It's just so much fun to be able to really speak about the Lord Mm -hmm. with all the people here. Yeah. It's really been fun.
0: Well, Arda, thank you for sharing your story. And um, I know you've refreshed my heart, and I know that's what you're doing consistently here for both the the residents and for people that you may never meet this side of eternity that are getting these cards at a, a critical moment in their lives. And it's, uh, it's an act of love and an encouraging spot. And Someday you're gonna get to find out about those kingdom seeds that you've been scattering.
4: Oh good, I'll look forward to that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think Ardeth would mind me sharing. She's 81 and to have her voice here Uh, and the wisdom and the perspective that she's learned to live from over a lifetime of walking with Jesus, I think is inspiring. And uh, you know, in so many cultures uh, we, well, in in American culture, we tend to worship at the altar of beauty and youth. And and there's something to be said for us um, honoring those who've walked longer than we have and of hearing from their stories and allowing them to shape us. So I'm so grateful for Ardith and, uh, and also for, for Karen and for Faith. And as we close today, the worship team is just gonna lead us in a song of celebration that declares truth about who God is and what he's called us to do. So would you go ahead and stand with me? If you're here on campus, would you stand? And um, you know, again, <laughs> Paul says, when you see these stories being played out, rejoice in them and celebrate, because that's what helps us together to be inspired to live this way. So um, let's just make this our closing act of worship.
5: But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. You came along. Came along and put me back together, and every desire is now satisfied. Hearing you love sing there's nothing, oh there's nothing better than you better. for ashes you turn shame into glory you're the only one who can come on sing that again you turn mourning you turn mourning to dancing you give beauty for ashes nothing oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing all right here we go you turn morning to dancing are you ready come on sing it with me you turn morning Get beautiful
0: I'm gonna close this in prayer. And uh, as we do that, just wanna offer an opportunity for ministry. If you, um, we're just gonna do a kind of a soft close with prayer and then if you would like to pray with someone this morning or if you just like to respond in prayer, I invite you to do that. You can do that right where you're sitting or standing, I guess, on campus. but. Um, If you'd like prayer this morning, if you come up front afterwards, I know uh, one of the things the prayer team was sensing this morning was praying over marriages and, that's something that we offer one another is to come alongside one another in those difficult times and to uh, pray for God's grace, God's empowering grace in our lives. So that's one word that was given this morning. Uh, I think some of you were also just inspired by things this morning or touched at places that are tender right now that you'd like to respond to God. And if that's you, I just invite you to come up and just pray. And as you've been praying for a moment, somebody may come up and lay their hand on you and ask if they can partner with you in that. Um, and, and lastly, for my part, uh, you know, I, I talked this morning. Today was really a message, this letter. It's a letter to people that have received Jesus. Uh, and I know that not everyone necessarily has. And so if you've not ever begun that journey and invited Jesus into your life, I would love to personally pray with you this morning. And I'm just gonna stick around up here. And if you want to respond to that, um, I'd love to pray with you. If you wanna respond to something else to me, don't because I want to pray with people who don't know Jesus, okay? So uh, there you go. (laughs) Lord Jesus, thank you for entering into our world. Thank you for everything that you did, everything you are, everything that you offered in order to reconcile us to you, in order to give us fullness of life, beginning now and stretching into eternity. And so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the example and would you help us Lord, even to have an imagination that considers what could be. As we live out our lives in this uh, the darkness of our world, may we shine as Jesus stars in our time and in our way and through our circumstances. So would you, Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon us? Would you cause us to see old circumstances through new lenses? Would you help us to recognize those moments when we have a choice to either follow the pattern of this world or to follow your pattern? And may we have the empowerment, the grace to both will and to work for your good pleasure. Amen. Amen. All right. Go make the the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you,
1: thanks.